Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Welcome back to Curse, Code, and Crown, a live play Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast featuring a fully original world and campaign. I am the wizard Cronox, observer of time. Curse, Code, and Crown features our regular voiceover artists and improvisers, Laura Hamstra as the Orc Countant Ida and Princess Gwendolyn. Tyler Hewitt as Maka Deathcap, and Ryan LaPlante as Duncan Kindano, alongside our Dungeon Master, the incredible Tom McGee. So get ready for an adventure including thrills, chills, and hope for a brighter tomorrow! It's time for Curse, Code, and Crown! You're on your way to the Exile's Moon, and Duncan, you've been waiting for a moment to um, confront is probably too strong a term, but uh, to confront um, Aldrin. <laughs> Or um, Hadrian, rather, about um, his uh, where he's at. Uh, you, you've heard uh, from Nibs, uh, Squire Nibs, some um, concerning, uh, understandable, but concerning uh, things. Also, there's the matter of uh, what you've been doing with the Dawnbreakers since you left Orville, uh, as well as the matter of uh, the double first captain situation that is currently uh, at play. So the uh, the pathway, similar to the watch that you'd all kept, is relatively um, safe. Um, this seems like an old hunting trail. Um, so there is a path kind of worn into the dirt uh, amidst the trees and the branches, uh, but it's a thin trail. Um, the, the cart is having some difficulty, uh, but between Ita and uh, Hadrian, um, and uh, occasionally even Fallow Ted, um, you managed to kind of uh, move it along at a relatively good pace. Um, but based on the visions, you suspect you don't have a full day's travel ahead. So there's not, it's not like a holy shit, we got to move. It's kind of a, this is inconvenient, but it's like being stuck in traffic when you actually don't need to arrive on a, at a specific time. You're like, well, this sucks, but that's fine. Um, so um, you've reached a, uh, a bit of a straightaway where um, there is no uh, assistance necessary. Um, Ita's got a, a, good, a good handle on the cart. And uh, things are rolling along nicely. So, Duncan, you found your moment uh, to kind of confer with uh, with Hadrian. What do you do? He would approach. I don't think he'd be, like, standing beside him awkwardly for, like, the previous half hour waiting to talk. No, Duncan's no. very much a, like, getting it done. So, from probably walking with Maka and Gwendolyn, uh, he, would, he would just circle ahead. I'm imagining Hadrian's leading this group that feels like a Hadrian-esque yep. place. Great. Then, yeah, he just kind of uh, sidle up beside him as the, the walk continues. And just be like, Hadrian, there are... I was hoping to speak with you. Certainly, uh, Duncan. What troubles you? How are you faring, brother? It's been a long time since you've had Dawnbreakers alongside you, and the changes in the order must have left you shaken. Uh, <clears throat> and he clenches his jaw a bit. Um, what would likely be almost imperceptibly to a non um, sort of acute observer, but given that you you always keep an eye out for these things. Uh, and he says, um, those are true words, Duncan. This has been a difficult time, both for our order and 
for me personally. Um, and he kind of looks down as he's walking and he says, uh, you know, I find myself in these moments now here on this trail in this strange world of the down low with you regretting that we did not get to know each other better when we were both training to become Dawnbreakers. Only now do I see how tribal our order was. I believe them to be one group, one unified idea. And yet, as the betrayals in Orvel and now finding you here have proven, we were more dissimilar than I think any, including the leaders of our organization, believed. Though I know in the histories they speak of the original members of Amala Kinsolaris's team, the followers of the Dawnbreaker being unique in and of themselves. I think we found comfort in the lie that simply by wearing these bracers and swearing oaths that we were one and the same. And yet now I find we are more different than any of us believed. And so I am doubly grateful, Duncan, to have you by my side now, here, in this critical moment. Yes, it is good. The one thing that I've always known about you, despite our differences, is that you stand by the code and you stand by the dream. And the dream in the Orwellian fashion has been for everyone to be stamped from the same mould. And the heart of every dawnbreaker is the codes. Everything else can change, but the codes are the things that we stand true to. Which is why we've come to an awkward moment, friend, uh, through no intention of either of ours. But we've both been actively serving as first captain for some months now. I believe I was the only one who had survived the assault, for if there were those who had survived, they would have fled or fallen. And now I've discovered you. I've also discovered that humanity is looked down upon and the world is unjust. I assumed that down here would be some sort of magical future, a magical... Uh, where the other more enlightened beings may have escaped the politics and self-obsession and narcissism that had fueled Orvelian nobility. Uh, they're just wrong in different ways. I have yet to find the utopia that we had believed in and wanted to create as a hegemony. So along the way, I found good folk, good warriors, good people along the way, and they have been sworn as new dawnbreakers. And lastly, and perhaps most awkwardly, uh, I have been released from my oath to the crown. I no longer serve the Aurelian crown. I serve justice for our people, for all people, as do the new dawnbreakers I have sworn. I didn't know how to move forward with this. I didn't know what changes this make or what has made things the same. Um, and he actually pauses at this and the kind of the entire like train kind of groups up. And uh, he just waves to Nibs, who immediately kind of like tells everyone to fuck off back a few meters um, so you guys can have, have some privacy. Um, and he says, uh, this is a surprising, though perhaps not unforeseen turn of events. It would seem that the first question, that of first captain, is solved by the more complex questions that follow. If you have freed yourself of your oath to the crown, then it would seem there is no conflict between our titles, as though the crown has 
and again, there's just that like brief glimpse of the pain that um, Nibs described that he kind of that uh, Hadrian glossed over earlier. And it says, uh, though the crown itself may be somewhat compromised at the moment, I still believe in the seat of the philosopher, believe in the legacy that Malak Insularis left us, and I still serve that crown. And so, though we have both taken the name of the Dawnbreakers in our title, it would seem what you lead is something different altogether. Which leads me to my concern about what you've just told me. If you are putting together a new order of Dawnbreakers who serve justice as you say you do, do these new Dawnbreakers not simply serve you? For as the self-proclaimed servant of justice, a name and voice we can certainly imagine, but never meet nor discuss our intentions with, are you not making the very decisions for these people as to what justice is and isn't? Are you not justice itself in this situation? No. The codes are justice. I'm not with them to make their decisions. They've sworn to the oaths. They will stand by the oaths to the codes themselves. That defines what justice is and what the actions of a dawnbreaker should be. It's being free from the crown allows us to actually serve the code and to serve justice and to serve what's right. It does not mean I need to tell them what to do. They're trusted to do what they're doing. They're trusted to do the right thing. So the justice you serve is the code itself, not a abstract idea of right and wrong. Well, the code suggests what is wrong and what is right. To protect the weak, one needs to protect them from those who would harm them. It makes harming the weak an innately wrong act. That's justice. Hmm. Duncan, I'm glad I did not misjudge you earlier. I worried for a moment that perhaps you had decided to take justice into your own hands and form a vigilante army serving your decisions, your morality. And though I know you to be a man of integrity uh, based on, well, some of the reports that suggested you weren't, which, as you are all too familiar with, usually suggests that you were doing something right if you pissed off people that high. I was wrong, and I, I beg your pardon. For a moment, I, I feared that you had placed yourself in the role of Amalek in Solaris, that you had removed yourself from the Order of the Dawnbreakers in an attempt to become the Dawnbreaker herself. And I see that I was mistaken. I am glad to hear this, and it is good that you are spreading the code. You are correct. This world is different than I thought as well. Already, uh, Fallow Ted has told me things of this place that are very strange and do not sink well with me based on what I have learned. It oh, seems I that, hear that. Yes, well, it seems you have encountered things that I cannot even imagine. I would be honored if you could share this knowledge with me as, as we walk, for it would seem that I am rather out of my depth here. In terms of the titles, I do still serve the crown, and I do still consider myself a dawnbreaker. However, given how many of our number fell and how many of our number have turned, it would seem perhaps that my role need not be first captain, 
of Dawnbreakers, as it would seem to me that the only Dawnbreakers here are those you have made. Perhaps then I can simply be Hadrian Kinellos, guardian of the Dawnbreakers, and help you form a new order, one that will adhere to the very code we hold dear, rather than to the pettiness of the politics of Orville that blinded me for so long. I would take great pleasure and honour in having you join me on this journey to found the Order the way it was always meant to be. And I will happily tell you of the adventures that I have gone on, but there is one burning question that you must ask yourself as a man sworn to the crown. Is the crown the king who has abdicated the throne and fallen into madness? Or is the crown the princess behind us? There cannot be two rulers of a kingdom who are righteous. He uh, considers that um, and says, uh, we'll have to think on this. The king, for all his faults, was what I thought we all aspired to be, for after all, he was the heir to the Kinsolaris legacy. And yet... And, and like, he actually, for the first time since you've met him, seems like legitimately aghast. He mutters in a voice that almost isn't his. If you had seen what I had seen, you would lay down and die. What manner of king rules with words like this? I shall think on this, Duncan, but rest assured... From what I remember of the princess and what I have seen, she will make a fine ruler, and I would relish the chance to see Orville flourish under her. And yet I must consider my king. Well, that's a challenge for you, but allow me to tell you the tale of what has happened, perhaps to be added to by Marka Deathcap, the heart of Jassy. Princess Gwendolyn and Eater of the Empire of Numbers. First, we fell. Uh, and he just falls into the whole story of the adventures sure. that have led up to here. Great. So uh, Hadrian gets to listen to, you know, all the episodes up till now uh, as told dramatically and heroically. Um, <laughs> Ryan, can you roll me a performance check, please? Yes, I can. For history. I'd give you one of the two. Performance, oh, I please. feel like your performance, <laughs> your performance boy. <laughs> Uh, 16. 16. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, you're able to weave the tale with, with great flourish and a plume. Uh, at 16, uh, unfortunately, some of your uh, innate bias will bleed into it. So it's not a, uh, a purely objective uh, retelling. That said, um, as a, a, someone who is kind of built of bravado, uh, it's hard not to add the, the flourishes. And as a result, it, it reads like a, a great epic tale, um, which is good and it's entertaining but also means that some of the nuance is lost so he doesn't fully understand things like oh nibs has got to be like frothing at the mouth here right <laughs> yeah yeah nibs is like having the best day yeah. honestly everyone's enjoying this i mean the <laughs> the butler isn't but um uh jasmine is like on the edge of her seat like she is all in on this because honestly you're also talking about the kinds of things 
again, as somebody who's, who's basically been in charge of facilitating machines that she herself could never understand or build, being able to hear about the people who did build these things and to hear about all, all the things you've encountered, like byproduct fascinates her. Um, obviously when you get eventually to Nimbus station, like that blows her mind, but even hearing about Amulium and, and the dwarves, like for her, like she's almost a wide eyed kid. She is like compulsively pipe smoking because like she just can't laser focus. So her nibs are just like following along very, very uh, attentively. Um, also, uh, Duncan, you get the sense that like her attitude towards the party has shifted drastically. Um, you know, going from kind of suspicion and not really caring. You get the sense she doesn't actually really give a shit about the Dawnbreakers. Like that's not really a thing that has ever mattered to her in the way that, you know, the person who keeps the flying city flying doesn't really care who's patrolling the streets. It's like, cool, yeah, that's very important. But, you know, if we all fucked off for a day, you'd all die. So cool, yeah, go put <laughs> out a fire or whatever. We'll do the real work. Um, but now she's all in. This is phenomenal. Um, Hadrian is is uh, has the same journey you did, Duncan, just a whole lot of, uh, but uh, perhaps more, slightly more violent for him because he didn't study dwarves and, and other um down low uh civilizations uh so he is he is just really taken aback by everything all of them are are appropriately stunned by byproduct um this is where nerman really listens hearing about uh the lords of garbage town the liquid lord um the butcher all of these things um honestly as as happened for you and gwendolyn uh this just clicks a lot of missing puzzle pieces together about like where does the food in Grand or in orvel <laughs> come from we don't know where does the water in Orville come from? <laughs> we don't know. Um, though Hadrian does bring up the interesting point that now that Orville and he he, he he speaks openly about this, and I think Nerman would chime in on this. Um, the city has basically moved on to rationing now. Um, ever since it disconnected from the tether and drifted away from byproduct. Um, it was never fully explained. Everyone kind of assumed it was a Sinkai order, uh, but Nikos has put the entire city on essentially siege rationing. So everyone is on like bare minimum food, which in turn makes them more pliant because no one really has the energy to to fight too hard. But it's been a definite uh, hardship that has befallen Orvel, being cut off from its, uh, its supply lines. Um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, you've earned the, the trust and... Um, camaraderie of of uh jasmine certainly and and kind of um establish yourselves now as the experts down here um you notice kind of a subtle shift in the way everyone talks and walks where suddenly it's oh if you guys know your shit cool like no one's you know having a dick measuring contest about oh well but you're part of our caravan they're very happy to be like oh if you know what's up lead on um and even uh fellow ted learned some stuff because you know he's He's a gnome on the road. Um, he uh, he is astounded at the uh, the betrayal of Sylvia Toma science gnome, um, but also um, you notice he just kind of nods to himself after his initial reaction. Um, Ida, would you investigate that at all? Um. Yeah, yeah. I think one hundred percent. She can't okay. not do anything. Sure. Hmm. Um, so just straight up investigate? Um, well, this would be, uh, yeah, if you want to take it as investigation, you could take it as persuasion, you could take it as, because this is literally you just like going to talk to Fallow Ted about what what's up, or I guess observing him from a distance. Um, 
Uh, I mean, I think this is almost, I think this is more of like a perception. Sure. I that. think if you're not engaging, then yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, hey, that's not bad. Uh, it's a 16. 16? Okay. Um, Ida, it occurs to you that um, in your understanding, most of the gnomes of the world work for Apex. Um, mm -hmm. So oh, a random gnome mercenary is is an oddity. Uh, that said, it would make sense that he would know of Sylvia Tome, but it occurs yeah. to you, you actually don't really have any idea like what why a gnome would be away from Apex. Now, it's, it's worth noting mm -hmm. that um, the Apex uh, Institute is described as an institute and was formerly uh, an industry. It's worth thinking of as like a corporate state. Like it's, it is mm -hmm. as much as the Empire of Numbers is like its own fully fledged system um, and, and region. So it's not unheard of. Uh, it's just kind of strange. So you don't get anything from it other than he doesn't look that surprised and he also doesn't look that upset uh, when you Duncan hits the part of killing Sylvia Tome, the science yeah. Um I guess that this is perhaps worth worth asking then. Are there any parts of, of the adventure that you would leave out? Duncan wouldn't leave out anything. Um, Hadrian, these are Orvelians. Hadrian is a Dawnbreaker, so's Nibs. Also, he doesn't think that there's any part of this story that's like, so far oh do you know what he would leave out um the weakness of the dawn breakers that they put on the bone spurs because he's not sure if hadrian would agree with mm. um harnessing necrotus energy and allowing people to still survive so he would mm. not describe how things were underground he would make that sound a little blurrier just right. that he doesn't like it here's how you go kill this entire group of people that right you, so you, you wouldn't bring up the the grim orchestra piece it would just kind of be like here's we, we went to this place and there's some yeah. necrotist remnants. We fought them, but we won. And I left some Necrot Dawnbreakers to protect. Exactly. That they were, you know, they, they were harnessed by his magic and we freed them. So they're the people they want to be now. Um, right. That would be kind of all there. I think that's the thing he would leave out. Is there anything any of the others would leave out in terms of story or learning? I think it'd be safe to say that of. Duncan would like look to, to all of yeah. you. The ones that, that would occur to me are like the nature of Jossie, um, Gwendolyn, maybe uh, the Karen swap might be something you wouldn't necessarily want to bring up. Um, I don't know if Duncan would. Uh, Dun Duncan would definitely look to her at that point because he'd be happy to leave that out to not make her look like an idiot on this story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gwendolyn would not want that known. Okay, so instead becomes like a, you know, possessed by an evil entity, not... yeah. I shared, I had a shitty roommate yeah. for a bit. But I overcame as I was meant to do. Is Maka as, capable of allowing know. this kind of lie? <laughs> uh, I don't think he reads it as a lie. I think he, he trusts you guys so much that he just thinks he must have misinterpreted the events and that this must be what actually happened. So he's also being lied to now. <laughs> so he, yeah. It's close Maka. enough that he's yeah. like, mm. yeah, close enough. I, I misunderstood. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was perhaps too harsh on Gwendolyn. <laughs> I did not know she was possessed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. Um, so you, you get them caught up. Uh, it, it, it is truly a, a, a wonderful way to pass the time. Um, let me roll some dice and see how they all react to this. 
Ooh, nat two nat twenties in a row. Jesus, fuck. Um, I don't know what that means for us though. <laughs> they see through every lie. Yeah. Fuck us. Yeah. Fuck our. Right, yeah. No, no. They um to the contrary. Uh, uh, Jasmine and uh, Adrian are are um, astounded and impressed, and again, like fully on side um, with you. Uh, and willing to kind of help you along the way. Nibs is obviously like over the moon. He's a little distracted though, because he's also trying to figure out like who to swear an oath to. And that's, hmm. you know, pretty stressful. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, with a roll of 10, uh, Nerman listens to a lot of this, but in, in the, in the way that someone who doesn't care about your fandom has to sit through a long discussion of like, you know, like the depths of Canon. And you're like, I don't care. Okay. Sure. Uh, it's the way Miles looks anytime I try and describe the Fast and Furious uh, saga. Um, but he uh, he's indulging it, but you can tell he doesn't care. And I don't think this comes as much of a surprise because he clearly just wants to be back in Orville. <laughs> like, he wants to be back in the system he knows. So it doesn't really matter what all the yeah. affairs of the people down here are doing because who cares? We're going back to space. So I don't give a shit. I want to go back up in the sky where it's nice. Um, so he, uh, he's still, you know, quiet and, and polite, but you can tell he's not really paying attention. That's fine. So, Duncan doesn't like him. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Um, cool. So, uh, having, uh, had all these conversations, um, the, uh, the day has kind of, uh, begun to shift into night. Uh, the, uh, the clouds begin to darken as, uh, as evening comes on. Um, is there anything else you'd want to discuss and, or is there any follow-up you'd want to have with Hadrian now that you've given him all of this? You can tell he's like processing. He obviously thanks you for, for the tale, but he also has, has to like reconsider a bunch of shit. I think Duncan having, he, do you know what? I, I will just roll a quick per passive perception thing for my brain so that I know if I saw a thing or not. Oh yeah. Roll 17. I definitely saw it. Duncan will have spotted the fact that, uh, Maka, <laughs> Definitely thought the lies were the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and just at the end of this, as maybe Gwendolyn goes to talk to Hadrian, uh, Duncan will pull Maka aside and be like, all right, so I could see that you thought maybe you were remembering things wrong. We kind of changed some details to allow the princess to not look like a fool by inviting Karen into her body. And I did not want to reveal the weaknesses of our friends simply because, do you remember how I felt about necromancy last night? Mm, yes, I share those feelings regarding the excretus forces. I firmly yes, believe we should have killed them. I I understand, but the people here, we, we agreed that the living souls were kind folk, so I did not want to hand their weakness out to the whole wilderness of everyone. Mm. So I kept that one secret for us. Technically, I, I, did, I didn't lie, I just left out details. I see. It will come to us to kill them then. No one else. Yes, I understand. If at some point we need to, yes, it will come to you and I, and we will both have to unanimously agree that that's the action we need to take. Very well. Um, at which point, uh, Nibs comes kind of rushing up and tugs on your cape, Duncan, um, and uh, he just says, That was a real good story. Are you, the, are you doing an impression of me? The small one is making a jape at you. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I did not mean it that way. Uh, the uh, And he, he doesn't know who Ida is, so just points at her. He's like, Ita, um, yes. Oh, I, Ita, uh, 
she was uh, trying to teach me something about uh, how to speak, and uh, now I just kind of sound like this. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no disrespect, sir. Well, if you're pleased by it, then you can go ahead. You know, I got this dialect from my mum. Don't know, <laughs> don't know its history or where it comes into this world, but you're welcome to adopt it as long as you're not mocking me. Oh, no, sir. I never mock you. I merely want to be like... Oh, sorry, that was a wee bit more truth than I meant. Uh, I'm I'm just going to go back to thinking. Well, you're welcome to do that, friend Nibs. Just know, you're a noble fellow. Does not have to be fearful of talking to other Dawnbreakers. Or anyone, come to think of it. And he, he just kind of like doesn't really want to speak anymore because he's fucking up. So he just kind of like nods emphatically and just kind of fades back away. And Duncan turns to Mark and says, despite, I mean, probably my better instincts, I really like that man. And I think he's going to be a huge deal in the future. Like I could see him running this order if he can sort out some of the nerves on the scale of things. We'll have to nurture this young man then. Yes. Exactly. Mm. Also, I need to talk to Ita to figure out whether or not she's trying to insult me. <laughs> mm, yes. It could be that Ida put the young one up to it. Mm. Yes, <laughs> and then the jape is at the boy's expense, which doesn't seem terribly kind. Mm. A pawn in her prank against you, yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Ita! <laughs> <laughs> he just goes over to talk to her. As he leaves, Maka just kind of says to no one, you know, like, I don't get it. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, um, Duncan, you make your way over to Ita. Uh, Ita, you are... Uh, Shocked out of... Also, I think this is the first time you've heard the whole story. So there's something to that, too. Uh, I don't think much much of it changes anything for you because none of it's really related to the Empire of Numbers or uh, no. Apex. But She's it just is, happy for more context. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's data. You didn't have this data, yeah. and now you do. Uh, and then, lo and behold, Duncan uh, sort of uh, barks at you, knocking out of your revelry and approaches. Yes, Quick question. Why did you teach the boy to do my accent? I, uh, because I can, and he was a good learner. He was an excellent student, and I wanted to see if I could teach it, and I seem to have been successful. It feels like you're mocking me even with this accent, and it felt like you may have taught him the accent to mock me. Are you mocking me? Why would I do such? I have no reason to mock you. No. But that's what every prankster said. Even when I was in the academy, they'd be like, we're going to teach you to sword fight. And somebody put shite in my locker. And then I'd be like, it was you. It was you, wasn't it, Ollie? And Ollie'd be like, why would I shit in your locker? And I'd agree, it doesn't make any fucking sense. But I, there'd be someone laughing. And I'd find Ollie laughing later. So are you mocking me? Are you shitting not, in my locker? I do not find Fika-related humor amusing. Um, That's what Ollie said. Others do in the Empire, but it has never been my interest. Um, no, I I, I I, merely wanted to experiment with a new teaching style, and it, it worked. And I learned your accent back in Sprungbreck, and it seemed an interesting and uh, innocuous skill to 
to teach uh, the squire nibs that he will only know this for a day. Uh, what? I mean, I suppose I could teach him every single day to talk like that, but... Wait, so you could teach things that people immediately forget? You're like a bad version of studying for a test. I suppose. So yes, it was more this... like it is more like cramming, where you immediately forget. No, you know it as you be... need it. So, but I mean, it is useful because I can teach. I know now that I can teach things uh, that can be useful for a day or so. And right, I mean, so it's the... better than not never never being useful at all. Perhaps really one day I will be able boy... to impart wisdom for longer and teach the okay, that's, I, it's, skills it's, to I, be I, able to retain the information. If I was someone on the outside of this, this would still feel like you're mocking me. I'm going to be honest. Like If I was a third party, I'd be like, oh, she fooled him pretty good. Because here's going to forget it. I think he's going to make it a foundational part of his personality from what I've seen of the boy. May I what ask can you teach why, me? May I ask what is offensive about it? I believe that walk. that imitation is the highest form of flattery. I believe that you would be pleased. That is something that is only said by comedians and assholes. The regular people don't like being copied. Also, it's like people don't like having their work copied, their personality copied. What can you teach me then if this cramming is a real thing? Well, I can teach you Orkish. Uh... Well, I don't know that I language. Mean, do you have a proficiency nice. in hand crossbows? I'm sure you have proficiency with short swords and simple weapons, but... Uh, oh, I could teach you how to use my mathematics set. Again, only for a day, but if you would need it. I have All a right, triangle yeah. and a clinometer. You could Let's see how do... high things are. If you Let's needed to know orcish. how tall a tree was. Let's do the orcish and we'll make sure. Because if we meet an orc who's in exile and I talk to them in orcish... Then I'll know if it's real orcish or not. If you just taught me to say, like, I'm going to have sex with your mother and then I get punched in the face. Okay, well, I can teach you today and then you will have to sleep on it and then your mind absorbs. And uh, kind how many of... times a day can you teach this, Ito? Um, So I can do one a day. She did one yesterday. I right? did one yesterday. Ah. So this right. won't take effect until after. Gotcha. Tomorrow. All right, yeah. so I'll sleep on the cart while you're pulling it after you teach me this lesson and then I'll know Orkish tonight. That's... Yes, we can do that, sure. All right, so what's the word for asshole? Uh, he just starts learning uh, Orkish. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so uh, with uh, with that, um, the uh, the caravan makes its way. Duncan manages to catch some shut-eye, which is good because he didn't really sleep the night before. Um, wakes up knowing orcish. Uh, Nibs is so fucking confused when he's like, "Oh, I, um, oh, I, I ack, ah, oh, jeez, uh, okay, hey, um, Miss Ita, uh, I think the voice thing, uh, stop, stop working. I tried to learn it as best I could, but I think I'm, I'm just, oh no, <laughs> and like I don't think you, you're paying any attention to him. He's yeah. this is kind of him. From I, I kind of, I probably pat him on the head and said, "Yes, you did quite well." Oh. I did quite well. Um, and uh, with that, uh, the uh, sort of night sets in. Uh, the moon is full when you can see it through the, the breaks in the clouds. Um, and uh, you can... Um, Hadrian kind of puts up a hand uh, to slow the, the cart. And um, looking around, he kind of looks to Jasmine and says, um, Am I correct in thinking that this is what we've been seeing? And um, taking like a, just kind of like blowing um, pipe smoke through her teeth. 
uh, she just kind of nods and says, yeah, yeah, these this looks familiar to me too. Uh, and then sort of over her shoulder, she just kind of raises uh, the stem of her pipe and points and says, and there's uh, there's the mark. Um, and sure enough, um, etched into a tree, carved rather into a tree in a way that seems like it was done hundreds of years ago um, in that way where no bark grows around it anymore, but it also doesn't look fresh, uh, is the uh, the sigil of the ornamented tree. Um, and uh, Hadrian kind of nods and says, it would seem this is it, people. If we touch this icon, there will be no turning back. Are we prepared? Duncan will look to the other two and kind of shrug because he's not, not sure. Good. Nods, yeah. And Ida just said, this is why we are here, no? Why would we stop now? We have literally like avoided going to the place where you all want to go. To Orwell, all right, to Gwendolyn, what do you think? Um, <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, I mean, sure, someone, someone should touch it. I imagine someone who's had the dream. All Maybe? right, Hadrian, we're ready. And Hadrian nods and says, Indeed, someone who has had the dream should touch it. Squire Nibs, would you like to touch the button? And Nibs is like bouncing and he says, oh, Me, sir? But I, I, I'm just a squire. And Hadrian says, Be that as it may. To every journey, there is a first step. And in this case, I think it's important that you take that step. Come, Squire Nibs, lead us to this exile's moon. So Nibs kind of like moves between the crowd in very much like a you're a hobbit, you bow to no one way. Um, and uh, he, he walks up and he kind of like slides his glove off uh, and he doesn't look back. And Duncan, you're actually really happy about this because you were expecting him to kind of like look for permission or do something. Um, but you could almost swear you see him muttering um, the code under his breath. Uh, and then he um, closes his eyes and presses his hand against the sigil. Um, at which point, um, the force around you bursts, uh, like the, uh, the sort of membrane of a bubble. Uh, and suddenly you're assaulted by the smells and sounds of a full festival in full swing. Um, there's food cooking on the air. Um, you can hear the sound of music. Um, your eyes, um, all of you kind of have to, to squint against bright light. Uh, there are fires everywhere. Um, massive tent structures have been set up uh, and you find yourself in a bustling marketplace in the center of uh, the market. There is a massive ancient tree, um, which is bizarre because you were literally just in a forest and this tree was definitely not there, but it sure enough, it matches the, the kind of rough sketch you've seen. Um, it's a sort of a, a huge old Oak completely devoid of leaves um, it could be dead. You're not actually certain, um, but the branches uh, kind of form almost that, um, you know, when you look at uh, an x-ray of a brain and there's all where all the veins go, just kind of that, that big kind of dense mass of uh, skeletal branches. Um, and it is adorned with all manner of small ornaments. Uh, you can see um, just in the breeze, all these sort of small objects seem to be swaying ever so slightly. Um, it's not so much a Christmas tree kind of situation, more a um, uh, just almost the equivalent of sort of um, 
like small uh, corn dolls, um, like corn husk dolls, um, small sort of almost dreamcatcher-esque pieces, just various things. Um, you see um, daggers, you see um, like a water skin, just various items seem to have been um, carefully hung in the branches of the tree. Uh, the tree's on a bit of a hill, so it it very much dominates the space. Um, it's dead center uh, within the market, and the rest of the market seems to kind of be in, um, spreading out from it in kind of a, a circle. Beyond it, you can't see the forest you just came from. Um, you're not, you know, in some interdimensional space. Uh, it just seems to have been uh, protected by uh, by an illusion of some sort. Um, the uh, the moon shines through uh, the clouds uh, as as they they move. Um, and although you are far from home, you feel an immediate sense of home, um, which is an odd feeling, I think, particularly given how all of you feel in relation to the places you're from now. Um, Maka, for you, Bleen has, has gone from being a, a place of service and a place where you have a very clear function and role to, um, a place of deception and, and, uh, perversion of natural systems that is slowly poisoning the entire world due to greed and hubris. Um, and yet now you feel the way you did when you first rose from the swamp um, and beheld the, um, the fungi and spores and creatures around you. And when you kind of first rose up as Maka Deathcap to realize your place in the world and how you could shape it. Um, Gwendolyn, for you, for a time, you felt very at home in the palace. Um, it was a place of of comfort. It was your domain. And as a princess, you had such power over it that despite being a kid and obviously having limits to what you could do, it still felt like yours to command. Yeah. Um, but I think the time it felt the most like home was likely when uh, Duncan was tutoring you when you had someone who was actually legitimately invested in helping you become a better person rather than just making sure that you could effectively rule in the style that was already established, um, where a lot of your tutors were very much like, this is how it's done, just do it this way. Duncan would correct you on things, challenge you on things. And you hated it to some extent as a kid, but it also stretched your brain in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So in a way you're kind of back there where the world made a bit more sense and where you could still believe that you had the power to change yourself and your fortunes easily rather than with all the struggle you've now found. Um, Ita, this is your favorite library. This is the, mm. the spot where you can always get a desk. The light is still good. Not like all those shitty ones where the lights don't <laughs> quite work. Um, it's, I'm imagining kind of like one of those desks that kind of exists in like a forgotten corner of a library where if you want to be alone in a space full of people, you can just kind of find these nooks yeah. and disappear into them. Not that they've been built for that, just that someone was like, there's enough room for one desk. So this is kind of your, that one desk. Um, it feels like where she could just be at one with, with numerology and the, the ideas she was, uh, enjoying exploring rather than having to deal with everyone else's bullshit. Um, and Duncan, I'm curious to hear what this would be for you because we've discussed that your time at the Academy wasn't great. Uh, I believe you were orphaned. Is that correct? Yeah. He doesn't really have family. So I'm wondering if this is like the first day, like if we're talking Harry Potter terms, it's like 
going to Diagon Alley before you go to Hogwarts where everything seems like, oh God, it's going to change and everything's going to be great. Like nothing bad has happened. You haven't been disillusioned yet. Nothing like... Yeah, it's got that like the the kid almost childlike ideal of something. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's honestly it's what Nibs is going through right now, which is just like, oh, this is the order I always imagined, and this is what it's going to be before anyone breaks that illusion. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is kind of like yeah, a home yeah, that space for, for him? me. Perfect. Cool. Um, and obviously, it doesn't. It's not like you have visions of it, or it appears this way to you. You just have that feeling, and it's it's weird. It's nostalgic. It pulls at your your heart in a strange way. Um, but looking around, uh, this is probably the first time even, well, I mean, Sprongbrek was pretty, pretty happy, but also kind of stressed because there was, uh, the election going on. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the few times where you've just seen a bunch of happy people being happy. Um, now it's still a crowded marketplace full of uh, a great variety of people. So every so often you hear a bottle smash and a fist fight and some swearing and you see people get pulled apart and like it. It very much reads as as any other massive festival space to you, um, but it it still it has a sense of home. Um, and as you're you're kind of contending with these feelings, um, out of the crowd in front of you, in a way that seems unnatural, it doesn't seem as though the crowd just parted and this person was here. It seems like they almost form out of the crowd. Um, comes a, a massive stooped figure. Um, you can tell it's it's an ancient woman wearing kind of like a long cloak. Um, she's got a uh, a wide, uh, almost like um like if you think a really weathered, dark gray woven sombrero um, that uh, hangs with some of the small trinkets similar to the ones you see in the trees. Uh, it covers most of her face, like there's enough shadow that you can't see much other than kind of her long bedraggled hair that is also woven through with ornamentation. Um, and you, all you can really kind of get a clear view of is her square jaw. Um, she has pointed teeth, but they are kind of yellowed and old with, with age. Um, and uh, you can't necessarily tell, but it seems like there might be some additional limbs under this cloak uh, as uh, she comes forward. But with her two um, primary arms, um, she kind of spreads them uh, with sort of uh, ancient spindly fingers um and uh says all travelers welcome you found it i knew that you would and she kind of looks to um hadrian and uh says uh hadrian devere's jasmine dean nibs quinto I am so glad you're here and you've brought friends. Friends are always welcome here. Um, and with, a, with a, what, a grin that only a truly aged, wizened woman can pull off that just kind of seems to spread almost like a sun sunrise, uh, she just says, welcome to the exile's moon, your home. The 
episode of Curse Code and Crown Sound was mixed and edited by Laura Hamstra, and the campaign was created by Tom McGee. Our original theme music was composed by Landon Noblock, and Curse Code and Crown's artwork was created by the brilliant Del Borovic. If you want to follow our players or our DM on Twitter, you can reach out to Laura at El Hamstring, Ryan at the Ryan LeBlanc. Tyler at Tyler underscore Hewitt, Tom McGee at McGeeTD, or you can message our whole company at Dum Dum Dice. So please join us again for more Curse Code and Crown! Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time The Half Blind Prophet, Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby, Richard Cranium, Sammy Boy, Orion Birchfield, Scott Garland, Benjamin V, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Acrix, Grandma Likes D&D, Alan, Austin Nut Powers Fry, Stabby Stranger, Glitch Trick, Roman Brown, Shulzari, Christian Mendez, Spot Allen, Flynn1138, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.